Welcome to the Pool Nation podcast, where it's all pool talk. And we ain't talking about netting and jetting or splashing and dashing. We're talking about becoming a nation of pool pros. We talk about the latest products, trends, and training in the pool industry. Now let's welcome your host with over a decade of industry insider experience and still the reigning champion of Marco Polo, Edgar De Jesus, and his co-host, John J.J. Flawless, the fastest netter in the West, and Zach the Pool Boy Nicholas. Welcome, everyone, to the Bull Nation Live podcast. I am your host, Edgar De Jesus, and yes, I am the reigning champion of Marco Polo, along with John J.J. Flawless, the fastest netter in the West, and the famous Zach, the pool boy, Nicholas. Today, we're talking to Ted Lawrence, Vice President of Pro Sales at Kit Consumer Products, and we do a little bit of a dive into the retail side, the retail experience. I want to welcome everyone to the live podcast, podcast where it's all pool talk. And we ain't talking about netting and jetting or spossing and dashing. We're talking about becoming a nation of pool pros. And yes, we will talk about the latest products, trends, and training in the pool industry. But before we get started today, I want to thank our sponsors for this podcast, Ultimate Pool Tools, the SPPA, Blu-ray XL, Aquastar Pool Products, Natural Chemistry, Raypack, and Heritage Pool Supply. We want to thank them for their continued support. Mr. Zacharias, good morning. How you doing? To be honest, I'm still trying to come down from that drive here. So my adrenaline's gone. I'm trying to catch my breath a little bit. I'm doing really good. I'm happy to be here today. Had a great day in Studio A yesterday. Lots of great conversation. So I am excited to continue the conversation today. So for everybody listening, Zach was driving a four-banger little truck that he's trying to drive and he's trying to catch up with me and John's. I'm driving a 150. John's driving this big-ass caddy. And poor Zach is about seven miles behind just trying to catch up. Just so. pushing it, <laughs> redlining. John, how you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah? Yeah, I'm doing well. Happy to be back in Texas. Here we are in the studio. Happy to have Ted here and talking about retail. Retail is my passion. Some people know that, but I come from a retail environment, so I understand the importance of it. And I think in the pool industry, it's like an untapped sector, personally. And we've always talked about it being a natural progression. Most people think that when you get into service, the next thing you do is become a builder and that's the end of it. In reality, I think if you're in the service, you start service and then you have that why in the road that we talk about and you can become a builder, you can go into the retail section or do all three. Most people think of retail almost as if it's not a part of the industry for some reason on the service side of it. And I think that is the wrong perspective and I'm excited to talk a little bit about it, get your insight on this, Ted, so that people can get educated and see how important it really is and how we can use them as a partner post a competition sometimes is what people think on the service side of it, what retail is. So yeah, I'm just looking forward to it and having this good conversation that I don't think we talk about much in the pool industry. Absolutely. Ted, good morning. Good morning. How you doing? I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me here, guys. This is great. Marco Polo, we're talking about retail, fish out of water. 
Was that shots fired quick, John? Yeah. Just right off the bat, good morning. But he's right, I, I though. I take the brunt. You know, we're listening to this when we started the podcast. We're talking years ago now, and you have our intros, and every time you say me, the fastest netter in the West, and I'm like, there's no way I'm the fastest netter in the West anymore, <laughs> dude. I cannot move like I used to. <laughs> and I think we're going to have to do some kind of updating on our nicknames and our intro, because as we get older, things change. It's going to be Zach the poor man. <laughs> right, the old, Zach the old man. <laughs> We appreciate you coming out. I know that you're super busy and we took almost all your day yesterday. It was actually really good to step away from the day-to-day and really focus on, as I said, we're all busy, but to take the time to educate, learn, and help elevate. I've been in this mission of elevating retail my entire career. I remember sitting very early on in my career going, are the pool retailers going to be like hardware stores before Home Depot and Lowe's? came into these markets and they drove these mom and pop retails out. And I took it very personally early on and said, I'm going to devote my career to helping independent pool retail grow and get better and be sophisticated and educate and train. And I've devoted literally my entire career to it and still to this day. It's good to be here talking about retail, my passion. Yeah. And the amount of knowledge, Zach, that he has. Yesterday, you should have seen how the videos went, John. So we had the script of some of the videos that we wanted to get. And I think, Ted, in between every take, I think there was like three more questions that came out that weren't even on video. You can really go down a rabbit hole, right? That's what I said. You open up a broad topic like merchandising. What part of merchandising you want to talk about? On-shelf merchandising? Do you want to talk about the customer journey through the store? Do you want to talk about store layout and design? So there's so many aspects to it. And then you want to talk about shelf planograms and product selection and assortment. So depth and breadth of product. You can literally go down a rabbit hole and talk. I can take this whole time and just talk about that topic alone. I'm sure, Zach, I got the feeling that at the end of the day, he was probably like, glad I got rid of these two for a while. <laughs> no, man, we had some barbecue and some ice cream. So that was good. I topped it all off. So, yeah. Took him to Tenders, gave him the experience, took him to Salina. Great. He took me to the big city. To the big city. Yeah, that's oh, it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We had to park in the outskirts because it was so busy and we had to walk into town. Right. <laughs> hey, before we get started, for everybody listening out there, download the Pullman University app. You can find that on the, the Google and the Apple Play. Did you seriously say the Google? The Google, the Facebook. Go down, download those. See how it goes, Ted? Exactly, like I try exactly to get into my groove, the, the and Google. this is what happens to me every time. I know. you. I actually heard you say videotape yesterday, and I did call him out on it. I'm like, videotape. Ask him for his personal email. It's AOL.com. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, download the app from the Google Play Store and the Apple Store. You will have 10, 12 training courses that we have on there. You can take quizzes and we will be updating the app very soon to where you will be able to register your company, register your employees and start to create those templates for your employees. And the other thing is we have some Spanish courses that are coming soon. I got into the studio last week, did a couple of videos in Spanish. And so those will be coming out here very shortly. Again, Ted, I want to thank you for coming out. We had a lot of pool pros that have been reaching out. And I don't know if it's been COVID. I don't know if it's been the generational change of new fresh blood coming into the industry. But we hear the retail conversation a lot more often nowadays. And I think, John, when you were talking about it, is at the beginning, it used to be like, here's retail, here's sales, we can't play together, it doesn't have anything to do with each other. And to me, it feels like that's changing, that conversation is changing. And so we wanted to talk to you about the retail side because of your experience in the retail. 
And just two days ago, we had Daniel that went out and bought a pool store and he posted on there. And that just reiterated what's going on and what we're seeing out there from the service pros going, hey, we need to take a look at the retail side. And so there's a lot of conversation that we want to have about that retail. But before we jump in that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the pool industry and what you do today? Yeah, sure. I'll give you the Cliff Notes version, unless you want to dive deep into the early beginnings. But I started very early on, I'm going to date myself here, but I've been in the business 33 years. So probably collectively the most experience between you four, maybe, or three. I started when I was two or 15. I lived in this small town outside of Pittsburgh, and there was this pool store locally that always ran advertisements with our school sponsored all of the teams and was in the yearbooks and all the other stuff. And all my friends were either working at the mall or they were working in a restaurant or something like that. And I was running at the time for the school, and I was like, I need something to be busy in the summer, not necessarily in the fall. And somehow I remember walking by this pool store all the time, seeing the pools and the excitement and the fun. And I was like, I think I'm going to go check this out. Maybe I'll build pools or do whatever. And back in those days, when you got a position at the pool store, you had to prove yourself. Okay, nobody's training you on anything. So it's like, all right, kid. We're going to have you do the hardest possible job for the next couple of weeks. And then if you survive that gauntlet, we're going to teach you something else. And then when you survive that, you teach you something else. So it was like, you had to prove yourself. I got addicted very quickly, like to both the people, the users of pools, the families coming in, the excitement, the camaraderie around it all. So I worked at this pool store throughout high school. And then when I went off to college, I worked at a local pool store selling pools, selling hot tubs and I was a kid that didn't have a lot of money growing up, and between my scholarship and this income I got from selling it put me through school and helped project my career. Once I got out of college, I had to get a real job. It's time to grow up, and I go get the position that was sought after in my field, and I was there six months, and every day was Groundhog Day. And I remember talking to my boss, and she's like, you just don't seem passionate about this. We chose you over 1,300 people that applied for this position. And I was like, this is all great, but what's the next step here? And I remember leaving that day and I was like, I need to somehow figure this pool thing out because I had so much fun every day. I booked a flight to the New Orleans pool show. I got to check. If I'm going to dive into this business, literally, I got to figure it out. So I'd never been on an airplane. Never. Book on a flight. And I still have the ticket, by the way. Booked the flight to New Orleans pool show and I walk in. There's a bunch of... Old white guys, yeah. right. grumpy, right. grumpy, yeah. crabby ass, right? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm walking through and I, like, I'm the young, energetic. And I walk out, I was like, with the first hour, I was like, this is it. Like the opportunity here for next generation to come up and take this thing over, I'm in. And I remember going to my hotel that night. I met Bob Dylan, but that's a whole different story. That, evening. that, that, was, we'll see. that was a precursor. Yeah. And then I opened up my own pool store. I came back and opened up my own pool store with a couple guys. and. The contacts I had working in the other pool store and grew that business and had the opportunity to sell the business and go do the next thing, which was going to go work for another pool company that wanted to expand and get bigger and grow in multiple locations and build teams and work on branding and expansion and led that effort for a while. And subsequently, that business was sold to a very, very large distributor company. And I entered this distribution company as a retail guy in a world of service and construction. And I was a, literally a fish out of water. And I remember at the time, the VP was like, there's a reason we bought this business. 
and and it's for you and your knowledge is to take this and teach and expand these retail product category. And I did that for 15, 16 years. And it was awesome. It was fun every day of my life. My motto was, we're going to change the pool business one store at a time. That's it. So my team of people, we tackle and we take on projects and we would touch about 100 or so retailers a year and focus on the business. Everything from product selection, assortment, store layout, design, marketing, advertising, branding, all that stuff. So I did that for a while. And a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to join BioLab and uh, take over the sales of BioGuard and natural chemistry products, which to me in my life, this is full circle because right. I started my career carrying BioGuard buckets out to cars and to end my career taking the brand and elevating it to the next generation. It's an honor and a privilege. It really is every day. And that's pretty awesome, John. You start to take a look at it, getting that early into the industry and just how it was back then where you have the service separate. And again, talking about that today and you had the construction separate, but there's this retail that's been sitting there and it just seems like, I don't want to say it's an afterthought, but it's part of the industry, but nobody really focuses on that. It's so interesting and it's siloed throughout the country because you're from California the pool store and a pool experience in California is different than when you come to the Midwest and the Northeast. You come to the pool stores in the Northeast and they're 30, 40, 50,000 square feet. They sell everything for the outdoor. In some other markets, they focus just on chemicals and accessories, right? And then somewhere in between, it's that hybrid mix. But it's sometimes, depending on the markets, it's almost the afterthought. I always said that sometimes it was a place for a service professional to put their stuff. And if a customer happens to walk in, I'll sell them something. And that's the wrong mentality to walk in. So that's the first gear that needs to be shifted is you have to treat it as passionate as you are about your service or your construction business. It can't be an afterthought. What I love about this is we constantly talk about the pool industry and the allure. And once you're in it, like you never leave. And so here's another great story on that. And what I want to ask, Ted, is now that you're with Biolab, what does your day-to-day look like? Biolabs, it's a highly technical business. We're dealing with chemicals and accessories and managing the sales team. We have a sales team for BioGuard brand chemicals. We have a sales team for natural chemistry brand chemicals and all the other ancillaries. But on top of managing the sales team and the programs, I'm also one of the people that help run the overall business. It's really interesting because I, I live in Cleveland, Ohio. Monday morning, I get up at 3.30 in the morning. I fly to Atlanta and I'm in Atlanta from Monday through Thursday and I'm home late Thursday night conference calls all day Friday and weekend I try to carve out some time for the family and I'm back in. It's not work for me. This is not work. This is, to me, this is fun. And I remember a long time ago, a gentleman came up to me. He was like, so Ted, what do you do for fun? I like to ski. I like to do this. I like to do that. So what do you do? What kind of activities do you do? I was like, this is what I do. And when I'm not doing my main job, I'm writing, I'm educating, I'm training, I'm doing something else. This is fun to me. So when I hear pool professionals or people in the pool industry go, I want my kids to go do something else. I think this is an amazing career. I think this is an amazing trade and path. It might not be as romantic as being a lawyer or a doctor or whatever else, but I have a lot of friends that are doctors and lawyers, man, and it's different. Like We're having fun. We're touching lives. We're changing lives and families. I encourage everybody to get in this business. We talk to a lot of people and throughout our lives, we get the background and the story of the Cliff Note version, right, of where we're at. And we've said it a thousand times. You can gauge somebody's true passion behind the words that they're saying right now. And when I'm listening to you and the way you're talking about it, 
absolutely. And I get it, brother. I really do. Because when I have conversations with people and say, I love servicing pool. I like taking care of, I love the chemistry. I like being able to walk into this backyard and do the things that I do. I think my job is important. I think I provide a service much more than just servicing a pool. And some people look at me like I'm crazy. Like, how can you like, well, I love it. And that's why it's not work for me. I enjoy this. And that comes screaming out when you're talking and I get it. It is, it really is. It's like it's two geeks geeking out on, on the pool industry and what we love doing, but it's true. And I understand it completely. I really do. There's bad days. There's good days. There's whatever else, but it's not Groundhog Day. Every day is a little different. It's a little unique. And I think it's number one is mindset. Number two is, are you working in the business or on the business or both? Because if you're working in it all day and that's all you do and you don't do anything to help grow it, expand, whatever else, and you got to schedule time to work on it, educate, train, give back. And if you don't, that's how you become fulfilled, both personally, professionally, monetarily. You have to have all that stuff. And I'm excited because we're talking about like just this change of mentality and all of this. And it's, you're just seeing more and more people with that mentality of learning, educating, giving back, sharing knowledge, passing it on. This is what worked for me. Have you tried that? It is completely different than when we started. I know the same <laughs> was for you, John, but that's what's exciting to me. And I think it's getting less, but there was this stereotype around the pool guy. And we weren't taken seriously. And so a lot of people that I know were insecure about having that title. They loved what they do, but it's people look at me as just a pool guy or a pool gal. I think that's all changing and it's going to continue to change. Now, I have to tell you guys, so I was very fortunate that Ted invited me and Jamie and the team invited me out to Nashville. We've uh, talked, we weren't invited, but we, we've talked about, they asked, Ted asked me, do you want to take John and Zach? Like, I'm like, are you kidding no. me? I'm like, good Lord. I'm like, do you want us kicked out like the first day out of that place? And I have to tell you guys, so we talk about building that nation of pool pros and building the pool nation family and having that, when you walk in the room, you just want everybody to feel that there's that support there. And so I was telling Ted yesterday. I walked into, and I didn't know what to expect. And so I walked in and there was, what, over 450 different yep. retailers there. And as soon as you walked in the room, even though they were competition, it was a big, huge family. And I joked about it. I don't think I've ever seen somebody get as many hugs as Alicia. And seeing all these independent retailers that are competitors, and they're all coming into this room and everybody's talking here. Everybody's shaking hands and everybody's sharing their experiences. And a lot of them came to me with regards to, oh, we do service, we do repairs. And this is something that we came up with. And I'll give you an example. We had one of the teams and what they did is they said, hey, we want to do chemical stops, but we don't want the customer with our chemical stops to think that we're still going to do a lot of the tasks that are on there. Our chemical stops are chemical stops. We looked at it from the marketing standpoint, and what they call it is they call it drone service. And they tell the customers, what we do is a drone service. We literally come in, we adjust the chemicals, and we're out. And they're sharing that with other people there. That's what we look for, right? We look for creating that. But what was really interesting is being able to take a step back, Ted, and look at that. And these are all the people that you support. These are all the people that you're trying to help be successful individually. Kind of the same thing that we're doing. But here's the retail side, which nobody really talks about. And it's almost like you guys have that part already figured out. 
So it was an amazing experience. That's where we met Kathy and we had Kathy here two weeks ago from Canada. Very smart woman, very smart operation. They do everything, service repairs, they do that. And we're starting to see a lot of that. So I have to congratulate you guys because what I saw in that room is what I want our industry to be. Yeah, it takes a village and a team. And every day I go in thinking like, how can we make the experience better? Like, how can we make the dealer better? How can every product decision we make, every marketing branding decision that we make, every chemical or chemistry decision that we make, how do we make it better for the consumer? How do we make it better for the dealer? Like, how's it all tie back? And that's our mentality is help the dealer get better. And we come along for the ride. That's it. And John, you guys sell products. You sell a product to your consumer but you just don't sell a product. It's all the different support that you give to those people, whether it's education on whatever chemistry or finances or or whatever. It's exactly what we're trying to do. And they just have this model that they've already got it figured out and they're already putting it into play. It's a passion. Here I go. And I might go off the deep end a little bit here. And sometimes people say I kind of overthink things, but I look things holistically and I like to look five miles down the road sometimes. And the effect of a little decision today or a little thing that we do today, to some might look at it and say, I don't know how that affects me. And it's not important if you're not with me or against me type mentality. So I think of retail as vital in our industry, extremely important because like you were talking about, Ted, it's that experience that you're helping create for people when you talk about families, right? Going out. If that family that goes into that retail store, and yeah, it might be somebody who's taking care of their own pool, but they have children and other people that are experiencing those types of things. And if we give them a positive experience and show them how having a swimming pool in the backyard, how it can bring a family together, COVID did for us. People got that view of, wow, my backyard's important. That pool's a little bit more than just a money pit. We can actually have a staycation and enjoy these things. What you do is you instill these memories and these experiences with generations. And you have these families and children and kids and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles that have this experience. So then one day they're going to be buying homes. One day when they decide if they're going to move into a house, are they going to rent a home with a pool or not? Are they going to build a pool in their new home? And if they had a, a shit, excuse my language, but a pretty crappy or shitty experience, and they're going to want to stay away from that. And they're not going to have that. Now we've lost that family and that generation maybe from building a pool and having a pool because not everybody's going to be the do-it-yourself or taking care of the pool, especially in times like now. And as things progress and we have things, we get to the point where we respect and we appreciate people that know what they're doing to service our homes. So I believe that the more we get aside from that competition thing, and this isn't the hunger games, right? At the end of the day, there's enough food for everybody to eat. So it's not survival of the fittest. And if you don't take that person out, your family's going to starve. This is not man eat man, woman eat woman type mentality here. And it's a competition to the death. There is plentiful food there. And if we work together and we all level up is when I see us taking our industry to the next level. Again, piggybacking on what I'm saying and now and what I said on my good mornings, over the last three years, we've started to see a shift. And I think our industry has grown immensely in the past three years. And thankfully, retail has been a part of discussion where before it was like taboo, at least in my point of view, in my world. And I don't speak for everybody, but I know in my area, and I also believe perception is reality. So one man's perception is his reality. And then same with the other person. It might not be fact or truth, 
But in my little area, in the people that I've been experienced with before, retail was taboo. But lately, I've seen that progression where people are a little bit more open to it, and retail seems to be coming up a lot. And I've also noticed that progression from service to retail opposed to just service to building. And why do you think this is happening, or what are your thoughts on that? You have the generational shift that's taking place, and it's not just in the pool industry. It's everywhere where you have the boomers who are now stepping the business down either to the Gen Xers, who's the next step to the millennials. There's this wealth transfer that's taking place. And the next generation is going in saying, I don't want the crappy pool store. I don't want the crappy van or service truck. It's about brand and brand image. That's where our generation is. It's about rejecting an image. And so they start there. And we're going to clean up the store. We're going to be more professional. So I think that's step one. I also think, and I credit to a lot of these business coaching that's taking place, open up Instagram or Facebook, and there's some sort of motivational speech on 10X or name the speaker who's telling them, here's how you succeed in business. And it's don't think small, think big and think about the organization and not just what you like to do every day. And I think the generation before us said, you know what, I like to build pools and I'm okay being a pool builder and I'd like to service pools. I'm okay. And it affords my lifestyle. I think the next generation is really looking for wealth. And I think part of it is because they have to look at the price of a car and look at, look at all this stuff. So I have to make more money than the previous generation. I want more stuff because we're instilled in that. So there is that mentality going in and What I've been witnessing is you're seeing the next generation come in and they're being very thoughtful and asking a lot of questions and going, what are the next steps? The other thing is, which is a breath of fresh air, which is you can only help somebody who wants help. And the other generation would say, I'm too busy or whatever it may be. Like, I'm good in this lane. I'm good making when I have a good life and they didn't want to achieve anything else. And I learned early on in my career, I can only help the people who want to receive help. And I couldn't force it. And that was where all my focus and my energy was. And I think what you're seeing is this generation asking for help. They're attending classes. When you look at the industry as a whole, like just attendance and education and training and everyone's starving for education, training and elevation. And some people want more rules and regulations and whatever else, because at the end of the day, we have to police the people who are doing it wrong. And we have to educate these people who are doing it wrong. We're all in that. That's the perception right? Is, oh, we got a crappy pool builder and, oh, that's that type of business. And same with retail. We talked a little bit yesterday about retail and I challenged Edgar and and Zach. I said, if you had two pool stores and they were equally across the street from one another and forget about what the products are, but the pricing's the exact same and one store is 1980s fabulous and the other store is hip, trendy, and cool, what store are you going to shop at? If you're asking me that, it would depend on what I believe any retail store or any service you provide, you need to mirror your community. Because that was the other thing we talked about. Yeah. How do you bring community in? Yeah. How do you make it feel local? And that's the key to success in retail business, and especially retail, is community tie-ins and community involvement. If that area is not a hip area, then you're not catering to your community. You're not going to be walking into that area. But if it's more of a country... But if you want to command a premium price, you have to have a premium environment. And I'm thinking even outside of chemicals and accessories, but... If I want to go in and I want to buy a quarter million dollar in-ground pool or spend $10,000 on a hot tub, I expect a certain level of service and I expect a certain level of environment. It would be like me going into a Mercedes dealer and they didn't showroom the tiles are stained and the the lighting is dim and we got a flickering light and that's not the environment that you expect it. 
And one could say that it's very superficial because I would say if your environment's like this, then how are you going to build something in my backyard to my expectation? It all ties in and in retail, the consumer's superficial early on. The thing that I said yesterday to these guys was, if you have a service professional wanting to get into retail, first of all, you have to have the will and the passion to do it. The second thing is to transition your customer that you're servicing the pool to have them come into your store and buy new things, you have a leg up on everybody else. You already have a relationship established. You have trust that's established there that you're in their backyard. You are with their families. There is a piece there. It's a natural progression that a consumer will want to buy more things from you. And sometimes you're an extension of the family almost. For sure. Feeding the dog. If you're doing it right. If you do it right. But if you treat it like a transaction, then you won't be successful. That's when we come back to attitude. It's all about attitude and how you look at what you do every day. Perfect point. We talked about this, I think, with Kathy and Zach when I talked about the mobile retail store. If you're doing it correctly... It is a natural progression. It's not like, oh, I can't get into retail. But you are literally already a retail store. That's what you do if, if you're a service provider and you're there in the backyard, if you're not only just being transactional or head down. And if that's the type of company you are and type of person you are, there's a place for you in the industry and you can be successful doing what you're doing. That's right. But if you want to expand or be that premium service provider like we are, that we strive to be, we are all-inclusive. We do everything, right? And retail is what we do because when we sell to our clients, we educate them on the products, on which ones to choose. We give them options. We tie them into their lifestyle. This is why you're going to want to pick this because you told me this, those types of things. And you're already doing it. Now you're just planning it and just building four walls. And now it's creating that atmosphere that you're saying as well, mirroring your community and becoming what type of service store, what type of retail store you want to be. And it is such a natural progression from service to retail. It's not that big jump that a lot of people seem. Oh, there's no way I can do it. It's completely different than what I have to become a builder. That's the next step. No, it's not. I think retail should be the first step before you get into building or at least do both. I don't know, but yeah. for sure. It all depends because obviously opening a retail store requires cash and requires more of a commitment. And I think the service route, you get instant gratification. Fine, you have you have an investment in a truck and some equipment and whatever else, and then you buy the stuff along the way. Where a retail store, you got a 10-year lease on a building to start with. You're like, 10, okay, 10 years, and then I got to do this, and I got to hire a staff, and I have these local regulations and certificate of occupancy, and I got to report taxes to the state, and I got to do it. So it requires a little more sophistication. I probably need an accountant and a POS system, and can be frightening and scary. But if you do it correctly and you go in with the understanding, just like building a pool, if you set it up correctly with the customer and what the level of expectation is, you will be successful. Often people are like, well, I got 50 grand. Can I open up a store? Okay, well, know that going in, you're going to invest in inventory alone. It's not in cash. It's product on a shelf that's going to sit there, okay? And then you'll turn it and you have overhead costs and all these things. So. As long as you understand that you're not instantly going to make money and churn profit from day one, I would always outline in a pro forma for people who want to get in the business, like, it's a three-year cycle to begin. It's lose, break, make. You're going to lose money the first year for sure. Best case scenario, you're going to break even year number two. You haven't even put a dollar in your pocket yet. And the third year is typically when you start to realize some sort of profitability into the business. But if you can diversify, if you already had something else, if you had service business that allows you to have income and not be so dependent upon 
the grind every day of making sure you sell everything. And this is the problem is you have limited cash going in, you draw down your inventory, and it looks like you can be gone in 30 seconds. And if you don't have inventory on the shelf, the consumer is not going to perceive that you're a healthy business or that you have the correct selection. So it takes a big financial commitment to start. But once you get that train out of the station, you quickly get up to speed if you do it right. We had fun yesterday because we started doing some videos and very quickly it turned into, John, we joked around about it. We said, oh, I'm going to put it like if Pool Nation's opening a store. And so Ted made fun of me right away. You better be careful with what you're saying because people are going to think <laughs> yeah. you guys are opening a store. <laughs> so we're not opening a store. Rumors but, will be spread. Right, right, yeah. There you go. That's Next it. thing you know, everybody's panicking. Oh no, right. Pool Nation's going into the, you and know. And if there was in, a Pool Nation war. store out there, it's yeah. not affiliated yeah. with yeah. the podcast. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you know what's going to happen is everybody's going to start now. Ted went over there to actually talk oh, to them happening? about how, yeah. how to franchise yeah. the whole yeah. system and how to build the <laughs> we had fun because a lot of it then became asking questions almost like from the service side. So if we were going to open that store, what was that like? So I want to ask you some of those questions sure. today so we could talk about that. But what are some of the top considerations that need to be taken into account before opening a retail store? I hit on the financial aspect is that's really the first one is you can't just ad hoc this, right? It's got to be a thoughtful sit down and you have to write a business plan. What does this look like? The cash consideration and the P&L consideration is one component of it, but it's also understanding the market that you're going into. Like how many pools are there? Number one, is there enough pools in this radius market around my store to support having a location? That's number one. And then understanding also the dynamics of your individual marketplace. Where are new pools being constructed? Where's the housing startups and permits going to? And all of this information is publicly accessible, where permits are being pulled for new homes. And one could also ascertain new homes. There will be a level of a percentage of those homes that will go with a pool. So, you know, that's number one is understanding the market nuances and dynamics. Number two is everybody wants to pick their location and they want the highest volume traffic location known to man and they'll pull up traffic counts in the street and they'll want to be next to a Starbucks and they're going to pay $30 a foot for retail space and you'll bleed out cash very quickly. So sometimes the most heavily trafficked areas are not where we want to be. We are a destination location. People typically seek us out, find out where to go. And I have this correlation between bicycle shops and pool stores. I've now told you this. Everywhere I go, I always see a bike shop near a pool store. And I think that there's some sort of demographic correlation between seasonality and service. But you typically don't see a bicycle shop on the Main Street. You see them on the secondary artery, so on the path to where people are shopping. I love locations like that because you're accessible but you're not paying $30 a square foot. You're not paying that premium. So Yeah, because nobody really drives by and goes, oh, I need to go get some cow high Oh, there's the oh, pool oh, store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You're right. It's a destination shop. And if you are looking for a pool store, you need to be accessible, obviously, and they're going to look you up, and there's probably not going to be 5,000 stores for them to look for. Well, that's interesting about the bike shop. Could it be that people that cycle or cyclists are more do-it-yourselfers and more take care of their own pools? Or is it more because they're outdoorsy and they like to be in their backyard swimming and doing stuff like that? I don't so know. There's a lot to unpack and yeah. unpack there. But one you could look at, so the majority of the customer base that we're looking at is the affluent customer base. And they have a lot of different things in the affluent base. They all like the similar things. 
There's also a correlation to dogs. They're a pet owner. They're married. They have two kids, and they have median household income of typically over $150,000. So this is the gold standard of demographic, by the way. And we're specifically talking about the in-ground customer here for a moment, that demographic shifts when you go to above-ground pool or whatever else. The meat and potatoes of the industry. One could say they're outdoorsy. They're passionate about things. These are the Peloton-owning people who have these pools. And it's just one thing I've really noticed that being in the industry so many years is I've always seen bike shops, like very close to pool stores, or the very successful pool stores, I should say, yeah. It's interesting, too. You talk about destination, and I'm trying to think, and maybe it's just me, but anywhere I go anymore is just a destination. When I was younger, it was like, let's drive down to the heavily trafficked area and park and go check things out. But I know where I'm going, and I go there, and I get in, and I get out, and I have to imagine that's a lot of the consumers are like that these days. Yeah, you're not going to go to Main Street and have windows and put pumps and filters in there and get people excited. Or alligator floating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This, is, yeah. this doesn't work. Okay, Specialty retail. That's the first thing you have to understand is we are specialty retail dealing with an affluent customer. That's number one. And when we talk about the specialty retail category, it's like William Sonoma. I love to cook. William Sonoma. I know what I'm getting myself into when I go to William Sonoma. Is that where you bought your coffee maker? I did not buy you my did coffee not. maker. By the way, for everybody listening, you guys think that I'm a coffee drinker? This guy makes me look like a baby. Yeah. He's not a snob yeah. like you. Jeez. See? He's wow. not picking up. <laughs> Shots fired all over today. Janie. <laughs> uh, Janie. Man, can you do me a favor, Spider? Can you mute his mic, please? <laughs> yeah. I don't have any mute buttons. <laughs> But if the setup of specialty retail is what you're expecting, right? I know that Williams-Sonoma doesn't have the cheapest cooking stuff, okay? I know I'm going to get a quality product. I know I'm going to get better than I would at somewhere else. So your mindset is already going in that this is a better experience. This is a higher quality product. So I'm going to get in the level of service I'm going to receive is also elevated. And you also know you're going to pay more, too. I know that. And you yeah. expect that. Yeah. But that's yeah. all dependent on the environment you create. Correct? That's correct. It's okay. If your value proposition in your retail store is, I'm going to be the discount pool store, it's okay. But you have to own that. And it's got to look that way. And it's got to be priced associated with that, right? It's okay if that's your value proposition. But I would say the majority of lifestyle or outdoor living pool stores, to call them loosely, is you got to have a value proposition like a Williams-Sonoma that I am selling a high-end good, a high-end product, delivering a high-end service. And you, Mr. and Mrs. Consumer, are going to pay a certain premium for that. And how much they're willing to pay more is there's market dynamics and nuances to that, right? If I'm in Orange County, that's a whole different level than if I'm in the west side of Cleveland. So the value proposition has to also suit the market needs as well. But there's always room. And that's when you have to understand the demographic of what you're going into and what type of store will accord that. Can't put a Ferrari dealership in downtown Detroit and have it be successful. I know that. But one in outside of Beverly Hills will because I know the market dynamics. So that's the other thing is when I talk about value proposition to the consumer, you have to understand the demographic of the customer you're walking into as well. And you have to change your business or have a business model associated with that. Starbucks knows that. Talk coffee. They have an elevated cafe experience in the upper class neighborhoods where they have all of the different African coffees and special Colombian blends. And they have that really wicked machine that they make ad hoc cups of coffee. I forget what they call it. The Clover machine, I think is what it's called at Starbucks. They have an area in the store. It's like Starbucks 
Premier, or I don't remember the name, but I'm not like you, Edgar. I think I've heard of it. It's like private, <laughs> Starbucks Private Reserve or yeah, something. Yeah, Private Reserve. Yeah. That's what it is. When we talk about it, they are mirroring their community right there. That is exactly what they're looking for, and that's why they're hitting it out of the park. And the Starbucks here, they understand that they don't want loiterers, so yeah, it's exactly. cash and carry. Exactly. So I, I, I was I, thinking about that. Okay, you were saying I, yep. that, and I was thinking but about that. it's true. Yeah. And that's how you do it. So you have to understand those dynamics, and it's not a one-size-fits-all. There's a reason why many businesses have multiple models. The experience is going to be roughly the same, just one might be miniaturized or one might be a satellite location for off of a main. They're hub and spoke models where one location will be outdoor living and have patio furniture and hot tubs and those sorts of things. And maybe the subset locations and smaller flanking markets are just chemicals and accessories and supporting stores. And these are things that you can map out by your market and understand. And that all bakes into your business plan is don't think small, don't think some location. Start a business to expand a business, number one. Even if you don't, you should always have that mentality and option. That's number one. And number two is you start a business to ultimately sell the business. Whether that's selling it to your son or daughter, good employee or whatever else, is understanding that you should along the way understand how to sell the business. Whether that be through equity buy-ins over a period of time. I think the worst thing you can do is wait till you're ready to sell a business and then go in the open market and try to sell your business or close the business because you've made enough money or whatever. Understanding how to take your equity out of the business and transition that correctly is also should be baked into the business plan. It's like when you buy stock. The worst thing you can do is buy stock and not understand the strike price and when to sell it. You should always buy stock and understand that when it gets to $100, I'm out. I think it's okay to have that mentality. We talked about that yesterday. You have a capacity to where you can grow something, and it's okay to, once it grows, you transition that over to somebody else who now will take and elevate it to the next level. I'm totally geeking out, and my mind, from a business standpoint, starts to spin on a whole different... (laughs) This is all the prep before. I don't care if you're going to be a service professional, be in construction, whatever else. I think you should build the ultimate business plan, your ultimate business plan of what you think this business should be. And get some outside help with people either in the industry or maybe your uncle who's really good at business and successful and bake a plan. And then everything you do every day works toward this plan. Everything. Until one day you're like, holy crap, I'm at the end of the book. What am I going to do now? Or maybe you get to the end of the book and you've already sold the business. You sold off every piece of equity along the way. The worst thing that you can do, in my opinion, is be 100% owner of a business. The most successful business people in the world understand you don't need to own it all. Get people in your business who will help you succeed, who will help the business succeed, and you come along with it. There's a reason that Tesla is a publicly traded company and Elon Musk owns, I think, whatever it is, 10%, or Jeff Bezos doesn't own Amazon. Like He's the majority share owner of Amazon. Just pick the company. Really successful business people understand you don't it all. There's two major things that you just dropped right there. And we talk about it all the time. You have to have an exit plan. Like a lot of people, like you said, they just go into it, they get to the end of the book and they're like, what now? There's no plan. There's no value in the business because they didn't think about that. And then having a plan, having a vision. We talk about it like you were talking about yesterday, using gauges in your car. How do you know you're going to get there if you don't know what you're looking at? How do you know if the decision that you're going to make is going to achieve your ultimate goal? So when we first start out, If you don't have a grand plan and sometimes looking into the future five, 10 years, where do I want to be? And you're faced with a decision today and that decision could greatly impact where you're going to end up in five, 10 years. And if you don't have 
a clear understanding of where you want to be, sometimes you're putting yourself way off track. And then you're there figuring a way to having to backpedal. And we all talk about this. It's harder to go back and have to reinvent the wheel or rebuild it when you could have done it right the first time and put yourself on the right track than you are going towards. And your goals don't change, too. You can go back and revisit that plan, right? Because things change. Yeah, have the master plan. And I would say you build a five-year plan. That's okay. You can have a 10-year plan, but sub-segment that out into small digestible pieces then, right? which in theory is a yearly budget. So your yearly budget should tie to the plan. And then if it does, at the end of this plan period, whatever it may be, five or 10 years, you've achieved it. And then there's running businesses, we call them R&Os, right? So risks and opportunities. You constantly monitor, you manage the risks, and you take advantage of the opportunities along the way. Every day, every week, you do R&Os in your business every week. What's going on in the business? It's raining every day. Okay, what are we gonna do about it? So if you manage the risks, quickly and seize the opportunities, that's how you get your five-year plan down to two-year plan. But if you don't know where you're going, that's like getting in your car, dropping you into a city and say, drive to Disney World. I'll eventually figure out how to get there, but it's going to take a long way. And with your pickup truck, man, I don't know, it's gonna, it might take a little longer. But, it know. won't make it. <laughs> if you don't plan to succeed, you plan to fail and you have to have a plan. And don't have the onus on you. That's the big thing. That's why I love partners and businesses. Each partner has to bring something to the table. They can't just pick up space. Maybe one partner's really good at service and they manage that. And the other partner's the construction guy. And the other one is who takes care of the retail location. But that they're master of the trade. And you circle them all in on the businesses so they're self-aware. And you don't silo the business. That's where people fail. It's like, all right, Zach, you run service and you just keep doing that. I'm going to take retail. And we don't cross-pollinate the businesses. you got to break down the silos. In theory, when this thing works, your retail business feeds the service department. But on your startup, your service business will feed the retail business. You have a captured audience. You're going to try to cross-pollinate your customers back. But when this train gets going, people are going to come in and be like, all right, I need this pump. Can you put it in for me? Yeah, no problem. There's a reason when you go to O'Reilly's Auto Parts or you pick the auto parts store, they'll actually put a battery in their car for you. They realize like people need it right away and they probably can't get their car to a shop. They'll do ad hoc service. I think it's the same way for the pool store. If you do it correctly, when someone comes in for an O-ring or a lid, when you know they're going to be trapped, you're like, listen, you're going to need a seal assembly. You're going to need this, you're going to need this. And and we can do it for you for X. Or maybe you don't even give them the option. Maybe it's like you buy a seal kit and we're going to install it for you next week. Pick your day. You know, I said keep cross-pollinating the businesses together and you'll see how it all works. And then one day you wake up and you're like, what else are we going to do? Maybe open an ice cream shop next door. I don't know. <laughs> a bicycle a bike shop. shop. A bicycle yeah. shop, yeah. Break time? You want to take a break? Yeah. A spider. I guess he's sending us to a break. I wasn't ready, but... I'm see, always prepared. You're always prepared. All right. Hey, everybody, let's take a word from our sponsors. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Ted. The HyperPole from Ultimate Pool Tools is a pool care pole designed by pool professionals for pool professionals, featuring precision-crafted carbon fiber and stainless steel construction. Go to ultimatepooltools.com or Instagram at ultimatepooltools. Pool pros have specific needs when it comes to general liability insurance. The SPPA program has you covered. With three tailored and customizable general liability options, SPPA makes it easy for pool pros to feel secure. Find out more and get covered at the SPPA.com. 
Now available, Pool Invoice. Pool Invoice is a pool billing software created specifically for the pool service and repair industry. It's developed for our industry and only our industry. Pool Invoice is built with reoccurring billing in mind. You can print, email, text invoices, or even send via WhatsApp. You can add reoccurring or yearly charges, accept credits, and set up auto pay. You can even see when customers have seen the invoice. It even has a customer portal where they can log in and see, print, and pay invoices. It has all your customers' information on one page, so you don't need to search through hundreds of invoices looking for the one you need. Just go to the customer profile and it's all at your fingertips. Created specifically for the pool industry, Pool Invoice. Now available at poolinvoice.com. Blu-ray XL is the power of minerals working for you. Reduce your overall chemical costs and labor up to 50% guaranteed. Whether you have 20 accounts or 20,000, Blu-ray XL's direct pricing and free shipping to the pool trade have you covered. Improving pool professionals' profit and work-life balance is what they do. Blu-ray XL, the real mineral purifier. Visit them at blu-rayxl.com. Blu-ray all day. Aquastar's new pipeline cartridge filters, available in two sizes, deliver top-notch hydraulic efficiency along with best-in-class filtration performance, approaching that of DE filters. Uniquely designed, open pleat spacing means 100% of the media square footage is usable. And these claims are backed by NSF test results. Designed with the pros' time and comfort in mind, the patented double-locking system improves safety and ease of access, making filter cleaners faster than ever before. Available now. Ask your supplier for pipeline filters today. Natural Chemistry, a leader in specialty water care solutions for over 30 years, is proud to provide products that make pool service easier than ever before. Its unique enzyme formulations in Pro Series Pro Blend improve efficiency of your pool program while reducing frequency of filter cleaning and scum lines. Natural Chemistry is also well known for its wide variety of phosphate removal solutions that include a non-clouding formula in phosphory and extremely high range removal with Pro Series Foss Remove or Foss Free Max. Save time, save money, save work with Pro Series products. Stop sacrificing durability or efficiency with the help of Raypack's new Avia HD models that utilize NITEC, their exclusive industry-first technology. NITEC Heat Exchanger Technology is Raypack's latest solution to superior strength and maximum efficiency when it comes to residential pool heating. With 900% more nickel compared to Cooper Nickel in critical surfaces, NITEC creates an ideal surface to protect against scale formation and erosion without compromising on Avia's 84% thermal efficiency. Learn more at raypack.com slash nitech. Welcome back, everybody, to the Pool Nation Live podcast. We continue our conversation with Ted Lawrence from BioLab. We're talking about what we have now called the retail experience. I like that. You like the that? retail experience. Uh, yeah, it's like the Jimi Hendrix experience. <laughs> That's it. So we continue our conversation. Zach, I'll let you continue and take over. Yes. Yeah, so retail is a pretty competitive environment. You've got a lot of national chains. You've got national franchises. You've got online, which is a different class in itself. And like you said, they've owned that. But what are some of the differentiators that the independent pool stores should be looking at or could be looking at to help give them a competitive advantage? 
we talk about service. So I think number one is service. When a service professional can do it better than a national chain or anybody else. So the tie-in between the retail experience that I'm going to give you, right, that's going to be catered local and have community tie-in, and then in turn, give that same service level at the home, that's one. That's like number one, your value proposition that you're going to give to the consumer is, I'm a locally owned company who's going to give you local service and who's going to tie it into the local community. But that's number one. Number two is the pitfall that a lot of people get into is I have to be everything to every consumer that walks in my door. I have to offer everything. Every product that's out there in the pool business, I got to offer. And what you have to do is people that are very successful pick a lane very quickly. This is the brand hot tub that I sell. This is the chemical treatment system that I support. And that's it. You don't say these other things are so attractive and there's a small subset of customer who comes in asking for them, so I should carry them. Pick a lane and stick down there. And the consumer will trust you because now you can tell them why you have these products. No, we support this product because whatever, name it, whether it's quality, whether it's service, whether it's whatever, warranty, service after the sale or whatever it may be. So I think picking the lane is extremely important and your product portfolio. This is who we are and this is why it is. And I remember one of my friends, he opened up a deli and he would never veer off from being like the boar's head deli. He wound up in a little trouble with his business and he was like, I'm going to diversify off a boar's head because of price. We command a premium for our sandwiches. I'm going to go something a little cheaper. And in He didn't pick up share. He actually lost the segment of customer that he was getting in known as the sort of high-end carving the meat right in front of you and tried to fit into everybody else. That's where you go wrong is you have this knee-jerk reaction like market dynamics are destructuring and I need to change the overall dynamic of my business. Stick to your core. Stick to what you do best. Stick to the plan that you've put together. And if you've done that plan correct, and forget about all the outside noise of what's happening. That should not drive your decision every day. Especially nowadays, right? Because there's so much noise everywhere. There's noise everywhere, and it will drive you absolutely insane. There are people who drive their cars who never look in the rearview mirror. But there's people who always look in the rearview mirror. And I think that's a bad way to look at life is don't look at what's behind you. You've created this vision for yourself in front of you. Pay attention to that, focus on that, and the noise in the background will all take care of itself. And in fact, most of the naysayers, the people who are behind you saying not to do things are the ones that are going to hold you back and are probably the ones that are jealous of what you're doing. So don't pay attention to the noise. Keep true to what your plan and your mission is. As long as you have confidence in the plan that you put together, it's going to work. So, Ted, how does it work when it comes to selling products if you open up a retail location? Where do they source their products? Do they go to distribution like a pool service company would? Or do they buy products directly from manufacturers? Or are there separate programs for retailers? How does it really work? There is a home for everybody in this mix. There's certainly the retails should have relationship with distributors and should have relationship with manufacturers. When it makes sense to buy from a manufacturer direct, you should buy from manufacturer direct. I was a distribution guy for a very long time. Like you can buy from distributor, not tie up cash. You can get it very quickly, but there's some of the products that you carry that there's home to buy manufacturer direct or manufacturer direct product. So I think the models that I look at on retail store, it should be a hybrid model between both. But distributors have resources. Manufacturers have a lot of resources that are going to help you. This is what I mean. If you're going to go buy 
spa hot tub brands. Some of the largest spa hot tub brands will help you design your showroom for spa and hot tub brands. The BioGuard guys will help you figure out the product portfolio to market and design that piece for your store for you too. And there are other resources that distributors also have that will help you source shelving and do some of these other things that will fill out the rest of the store. I look at it as a hybrid approach when you're looking at opening up a retail store. And if you're a service professional, you probably have a relationship with your local distributor as well. That's a really good place to start. Coming to the pool shows, whether it be a regional one or the Vegas show, and just understanding what's all out there too, the outside of your market. And maybe there's some sort of stuff that's being sold outside your market that you can be the person to bring it into the market or introduce it to the market. And maybe that's your value proposition. There's different technology or different widget, different type of pool or whatever it may be. I want to go back to the transition from a servicer that maybe wants to get into retail. What kind of more specifically infrastructure-wise are they going to be looking at to make that move from being a out-in-the-field service provider to having that retail location? Yeah. So the first thing you don't want to do is you don't want to let the service business struggle because you're no longer in it, right? So number one is having a plan for that business to operate independently of from you on the day-to-day, okay? So if it relies upon you day-to-day and then you're going to open up a retail store, you both will probably fail. So that's number one is having sort of a succession plan and who's going to take over and that's developing that next up-and-comer to say, listen, here's the deal. I plan on opening up a retail store next year or two years. I'm going to switch my focus over to retail and I need you, my next guy up, to step up and run this thing. And when I do this, you can talk about profit sharing, you can talk about whatever. Let them have some skin in the game. I'm a true believer in that. That might be controversial, but I believe that you should share in ownership and profitability of the business just to keep people in the organization. That's how you keep them sticky. And that's how you keep them from going across the street and opening up another store or whatever else. They want to help you, but they also want to grow at the same time. So that's number one is understanding that plan and planning that out. If you're not the person who's passionate about retail, but you're the owner and you feel like the need to do it, then find somebody who's passionate about the retail business and let them run it. And you just continue focusing on service. So understanding your role within your own organization and what you're passionate about is important. Sharing the vision with your employees, selling them on the vision is the big thing, is an employee coming in and saying, here's our deal. Right now, we're a service company. We service this metro area. In three years, we're going to be in retail. In four years, we're going to have three or four locations. And there's a lot of opportunity with inside this organization for you to move up. It's giving people opportunity to expand. That's how you get them motivated. And that's how you get them to help build towards your vision. So we all want to do things on our own. And early on in my career, that was sort of me. No, I'm going to do it all. But empowerment is key in this whole process. I think that's it. Obviously, I don't want to hit on the plan, but the plan, spending time there is very important. And then it's like down to execution strategy. It's like, okay, now we got to do it. Now we got to go shop for real estate. Now we got to go get a shelving supplier and whatever else. And now I need to understand the products that I have to put in the store. That's really going to require some market analysis to say, what market is this? What kind of pumps and filters are they selling? What are the replacement parts looking like? And you may already know that because you're in the service business. What automatic pool cleaners am I going to support and sell? What chemical brands am I going to support and sell? And once you got the macro thing figured out, now it's time to get into the really crux of the business and understanding what you're going to do every day. 
I want to touch on something because you talked about empowerment and a little while earlier you talked about the partnership thing and that is something that I get asked a lot is, hey, I'm thinking about partnering with someone. What are your thoughts on this? And I do want to recommend my opinion is just make sure that whoever you're considering is bringing that value Do your due diligence and make sure that they're bringing something to the table. Yeah. A title for a partner in the business has to be more than just a title. Oh, I'm the vice president. What does that mean? Vice president of what? I'm really good with money. I have a finance degree or, okay, perfect. You're going to be our CFO to start and we're going to develop these KPIs that you're going to be responsible for to hold the business accountable. So everyone has to understand the roles and not just be a title on the business. Like they have to provide value to the business. Some of the pitfalls are I get a partner and he's the money guy or girl and has no involvement in the business, but he sweeps in every month to say, what's going on with the business? What's happening? No, we need you actively involved. A partner, especially starting out in a maybe a business that's not so cash rich, we got to understand what's going on. And I love hearing sort of success stories. And I'm not saying Elon Musk is the best businessman, but I love how he started. Like when you talk about, yeah, we rented this place and we all slept on the couch in the office and whatever. Sometimes that's what it takes, man. Okay is you got to not buy the $100,000 truck and do all these things and understand that for the first however many years, we're going to put every dollar back did into the business. Did you just take a shot at me? Did you just take a shot at me? Did you tell him about did you just take uh, a shot at me? Nobody's told them about your $100,000 oh. truck. You just blew yourself on that one, buddy. So now you know, Ted, he has a $100,000 truck. All right. So. so the podcast business is good as well. Oh, <laughs> it's only good for some of us because look he at drives my truck. a four-banger. Mine's a 2015, wow. so I think John's the only one doing something right. But to that point, once you get to a point, I do believe you should have carrots in your business. You have to reward and recognize employees and yourself, and you need to take disimbursements along the way. Like You need to pay yourself out along the way. Otherwise, what are you working for every day? In my personal life early on, like I overextended myself as much as I possibly because that's what kept me motivated. I got to go out and do this every day. Like I have to. So otherwise, it's easy to get complacent. We talked a lot about specific things that need to happen when you open up a retail store. But if you were to come up with what the key elements are that someone would need in order to have to open up a successful retail store, what would it be? Once we get the plan and the finances and all that figured out and you got a location and you've identified the products, then it comes down to in-store experience, the layout, the design, the operating hours, those sorts of things really come down to the day-to-day, what does that look like? So I'm a big experience guy and I think that it all starts with the layout and the customer experience the moment they walk in the door. I look at a retail store when I open up the front door like a magical thing. I'm leaving the world that I know, and I'm about to enter the world that you're creating for me. So that's number one. So what does that experience look like? And my expectations I, sometimes are low or high walking in. And the moment you walk into a door, what is it going to feel like? And retail's got to be, it's got to hit on all five senses, right? It's got to hit on everything. And the first one is definitely sight. And you got to have this decompression space around the front door. People love to put sand and DE and liquid chlorine and all these things right at the front door that has the work negative connotation to the business. The first thing you need to do is walk in and experience fun. Like this is the lifestyle of owning the pool. This is what I expect from a pool store. It's fun stuff. And if you design the store correctly, the further you walk back into the store, the more quote unquote work the pool becomes. 
So to where you get back to the parts and the fittings and all of that stuff to the very back of the store. Understanding why people are coming to your destination location. And nine times out of 10, they're coming in for chemicals, right? That's the lifeblood of the business. Just like a grocery store would put bread, milk, and eggs toward the back because they want you to walk through, certainly the chemical area should be its own thing in the back for people can experience that. If you do sell things like outdoor kitchens and hot tubs and patio furniture or whatever else, you should have them segregated from the craziness of the pool store, right? From the hustle and the bustle, the water test station, those sorts of things. That allows them to be more segregated and be immersed in those particular areas. You don't need to have an enormous location to be impactful or be an outdoor living destination. You just need to have the right tools and the right product segment in the business. But understanding that consumer path, and I think is very important, being open the right amount of hours. This is a big shift. Like sometimes people are like, um, no, I'm going to start this business. I'm nine to five. You cannot be nine to five retail. This doesn't work. The majority of the business is done from Friday to five to Sunday at five. Like that's consumer shopping days right there. So you got to be open the times the consumer wants the product. These are professional, affluent people. They get off of work at five, six, seven o'clock at night, and you need to be open late. If you're in a seasonal market, you don't need to be open late in the wintertime, but you got to understand when to be open and when not to be open. I'd rather have you be off on Wednesday or Tuesday, shut the store down a day, than to sacrifice hours during the week. That's a quick way to be not successful. The moment a customer comes in, if it's Friday night and they see you closed at three o'clock, and they need something from you, you just give them a reason to go somewhere else. They're going to Walmart, whatever, to get whatever they need. And like, yeah. You need to understand that. And some people, when they get into business, are saying, no, I train my customers on when to come to me. <laughs> okay. These are the pitfalls that I love to talk about. Of course about. you do. Of course and you I'm do. Like, <laughs> of course you do. I love the word train, but yeah. it's okay. Of course you yeah. do. <laughs> but it happens. Keeping it stocked. So when we talk about stock or inventory, you don't need to have the products from front to back to the shelf. There are ways that you can do it in such a way that provides the facade that you're full of inventory, but it doesn't tie up a bunch of cash, right? So number one is you can trade out your hooks or your slot wall or peg hooks for instead of 12 or 18 inch hooks, you can do four inch hooks or six inch hooks. And then as the business progresses, you buy the larger hook because you need more depth. If you tie it back to grocery, if you're going to go get cereal today at the grocery store, pay attention to how deep the shelves are on the cereal aisle. There's typically only three or four boxes of cereal deep on the shelf. And if it is deeper, those are the higher moving products, right? So grocery understands cash and cash flow and certainly dating and those sorts of things. You got to understand that in your pool store that you don't need to go all the way back to the shelf. It's okay to be shallow and merchandise and front shelves and build that culture in your business of we are clean, we're tidy. And when there's a hole in the shelf, we've fronted forward. That's all about the customer experience because we all get busy. When the store goes in disarray, your business is going to go disarray. And the big example I always give is what if you showed up to Chick-fil-A at noon or one o'clock during the week and there's fries all over the floor and there's ketchup smeared all over the tables and pop is spilled all over and Chick-fil-A is busy, but they make time to make sure that the customer experience is right. 
pool store. You need to make time. We're busy. We're testing water. We're, we're running around like nuts. But you need to make time throughout the day to make sure that the store is fronted, stocked, and tidy. I guess that's me, right? All right, Zach's up. All right. So next question is, because we're talking about service, we're talking about retail, what's the difference in selling to a retail customer versus a service customer? It is different. The first thing that I would say to do is, when we're talking specifically about retail, is don't follow the old school sales technique. You buy the book, Who Moved My Cheese or something like that, and you say that I have a structured way of selling and we're way past all of the 1980s boiler room selling and it's all about being human. It's about giving the customer a selection, giving them options and being transparent about options. Let them know what's going on in the world. Educate the customer. No longer is it selling the customer. It's educating the customer to making a decision of why they should buy the product from you, not selling anymore. So I think that's the biggest difference. I think when it comes down to service, it's a different value proposition. It's about time. It's about money. It's about those sorts of things going into the pool. And for the people who do it right, it's about relationship, knowing when to walk away from the customers you don't want. I think it's the same thing in retail. Understand who you want as a customer in your store. Are you catering, toward, catering towards the in-ground customer? Do you want that sort of splasher pool Walmart customer in your store? It's okay to subset the customer base and, and go after a segment of customer that you want. Going back to the Williams-Sonoma, they know their customer and the products are associated for that customer base. It's okay to do that. And just understand, don't be everything to everybody, but be human. Treat every person when they walk in your door like they're your mom or your dad. I think that's the best way to look at it. Like, how would you treat your mom and dad walking into that door? Like, they're proud of their son or daughter. You wouldn't dismiss them. You would certainly say hi or give them a hug or kiss. We're often surprised now as consumers when we have a good experience. I think that's a shame. I took a dealer out to dinner a couple months ago and made reservations at this restaurant. And we walk in as a group and this lady comes up and she says, oh my God, it's so nice to see you. And gives me a hug and kissed me on the cheek and said, we got your table all ready for you right this way. And the people are with, we sat down. They said, how many times do you come to this restaurant? I said, I've never been here. (laughs) (laughs) And right then and there, I'm like, I will forever come back here. The way I was welcomed into the restaurant, like I was a part of the family. That should be the way it should be. And your employees need to understand. You can't have your face in your phone. You can't ignore the customer, but you also can't do the opposite. You can't attack them at the door and follow them around the store either, okay? You got to give them space and just treat them like they're your mom or your dad. I think that's a a good way to look at it. I want to ask, you talk about value proposition. If you are retail service or retail service and building, do you think there should be a separate value proposition for each segment that you have? Or is it just dependent on what your situation is and your setup is? Yeah, I think you should always have a value proposition, but it all should tie in together. And it's okay to expand upon your value as you get to the different channels. And certainly you might get to one channel and understand that the value is different than it is from the service or the retail side of it. Understand on what are the key sort of pillars of your business that you're known to be and you don't deviate from those things. And you communicate those to the employees and saying, listen, we're known as the best service in this area. We're known as the friendliest people. 
We're known as the people that give back into the community. Like these are the foundations of this business. That's the value that we provide. And every customer that walks in this door, we're going to make sure they know our value. And trust me, if you communicate to your employees and your customer base that, you're not going to get, hey, I bought this from the internet. Can you put it in for me and knock five bucks off and I'll buy it from you. You're selling on a different subset or the wrong value proposition. And if you are, if you're known as the discount, fine. But just know that's the type of customer and that's the type of response that you're going to receive. So how would we know what some of those certain markets are that are going to be better to open a store? How would a pool pro or somebody trying to go into retail be able to, obviously I don't have the experience, but how would I be able to go, hey, this market is going to be better than others? Good part is you probably already know the market, right? Because you're working in the market, you've maybe grown up in the towns, you understand all of the nuances of the marketplace. You understand where the new construction, the hip, trendy neighborhoods are, where the million-dollar houses are. So you probably intuitively already know that. What shopping areas is moving to another shopping area, you probably intuitively know that. Now, if you don't, then there's a lot of resources you can get. Like you can do the U.S. Census Bureau. You can filter it out by state, by county, and understand what's going on in the market. Listen, worst case scenario, you do the guerrilla marketing effect. You go to Google, and you click on satellite, and zoom in on all the areas of homes and count the pools. Early in my career, way back in the day, when we would open up a store, we would rent a plane, and we'd fly over neighborhoods. That's and crazy. I'm not joking. We <laughs> would awesome. physically count pools. And then now we have... Google to thank, and we can see that. There is also software out there that will actually identify the color of water and come back with a result of this is how many pools are in the area. Like the AI and the sophistication that's out there, it's there. The tools are there, but don't shotgun approach. Or this market's going to happen in the next 10 years. That's like opening a store where I said to you, I'm like, where are we? We're in the middle of nowhere. You don't want to start in the middle of nowhere. Be in the area maybe where a good customer base is or adjacent to the sort of growing area. It goes back to the adage of location still exists today. It is all about location. But it's also, if you do make a mistake, know when to stop, call an audible, and change. So maybe your assumptions were wrong, but I think if you do a little homework and a little research, like I said, just get onto Google and just look around. Sometimes the MLS provides information on homes in the area that are sold with a pool, that's also readily accessible information as well. It's interesting too, and I'm sure most cities have this, like our city, I can email them and ask for a demographic report and they'll send me like a three-year report and it will break everything down in columns for the last three years. And it breaks down medium household income, high household income, average number of home, projected growth in income, disposable spending. It's really interesting. They have shareholders, which are the homeowners, and they get need to keep all this information because they want to raise your taxes at some point. So, <laughs> no. but, but they do it in anything that they can help add value to homes, which creates more tax revenue. They're going to help you. That's why I always say contact your local city. There's plenty of help out there. Unfortunately, some of it is regional. Some cities don't keep track of permits on pools. Like some cities, you don't need a permit to put a pool in. Other ones are. Pulling permit information or home sold with a pool, I think, is a good way to triangulate to an area to where to put your location. What would you say are the top three things that someone must do to be successful in retail? Number one is definitely do your homework. That's number one. 
don't just wake up one day and say, we're open up a retail store or, or feel like your business or that's the next step in the progression. If you're not passionate about it, don't do it. Go do something else. Go up an ice cream shop. You'll be successful. That's number two. Number three is communicate the vision to all of the people that work for you. Don't keep it to yourself. Nobody likes surprises. Everyone wants to be a part of success. So communicate and reward and recognize employees for doing great things. They're going to help you be successful. They are an extension of yourself. And if you do a good job in communicating all this stuff, they're going to push you to do these things because they want professional growth as well. And then number three is stick to the plan. You've developed a plan for a reason. It's okay to update a plan, but don't deviate from who you are. Keep moving forward. And then number four, I'll throw number four, educate and train, make time to work on the business, not necessarily in the business, and give back. Give back to the business, give back to the community, give back to whatever it may be, support a cause, and be human. Hey, before we jump on to the next thing, I want to give a couple of shout outs here because we've ignored here the little chat that we have going on. Jeanette, Benny was asking, hey, what are we doing today? And we were joking around about Benny wanting to open a store. So Benny, this podcast is for you, my friend. (laughs) So Michael was out there. Howard, as usual. Hey, John, that's it. No, no nothing. Howard, I'm going to pull one on you one of these days. You're giving Edgar a complex. Yeah, I'm starting to take it personal now, (laughs) Howard. Leslie is on there. Big shout out to Michael. Maria in Sonata Pools. Kevin, thanks for jumping on. David, thanks for coming on and listening out there. And then, of course, thanks, Janie. But we always have Janie in the studio, so that's kind of easy to write. I think you just say names like, hey, shout out to Mike and Joe and... Right here, look. There's Bobby, Kevin. Billy. There's Benny. <laughs> Benny's going, what did I miss? And shame on Benny for being late. Anyways, guys, let's do this. Let's take our final word from our sponsors. And when we come back, Zach, John, want to get your final thoughts. The Hyper Pole from Ultimate Pool Tools is a pool care pole designed by pool professionals for pool professionals, featuring precision crafted carbon fiber and stainless steel construction. Go to ultimatepooltools.com or Instagram at ultimatepooltools. Pool pros have specific needs when it comes to general liability insurance. The SPPA program has you covered. With three tailored and customizable general liability options, SPPA makes it easy for pool pros to feel secure. Find out more and get covered at the SPPA.com. Now available, Pool Invoice. Pool Invoice is a pool billing software created specifically for the pool service and repair industry. It's developed for our industry and only our industry. Pool Invoice is built with reoccurring billing in mind. You can print, email, text invoices, or even send via WhatsApp. You can add reoccurring or yearly charges, accept credits, and set up auto pay. You can even see when customers have seen the invoice. It even has a customer portal where they can log in and see, print, and pay invoices. It has all your customers' information on one page, so you don't need to search through hundreds of invoices looking for the one you need. Just go to the customer profile, and it's all at your fingertips. Created specifically for the pool industry, Pool Invoice. Now available at PoolInvoice.com. Blue. 
Blu-ray XL is the power of minerals working for you. Reduce your overall chemical costs and labor up to 50% guaranteed. Whether you have 20 accounts or 20,000, Blu-ray XL's direct pricing and free shipping to the pool trade have you covered. Improving pool professionals' profit and work-life balance is what they do. Blu-ray XL, the real mineral purifier. Visit them at BluRayXL.com. Blu-ray all day. Aquastar's new pipeline cartridge filters, available in two sizes, deliver top-notch hydraulic efficiency along with best-in-class filtration performance, approaching that of DE filters. Uniquely designed, open pleat spacing means 100% of the media square footage is usable. And these claims are backed by NSF test results. Designed with the pro's time and comfort in mind, the patented double-locking system improves safety and ease of access, making filter cleaners faster than ever before. Available now. Ask your supplier for pipeline filters today. Natural Chemistry, a leader in specialty water care solutions for over 30 years, is proud to provide products that make pool service easier than ever before. Its unique enzyme formulations in Pro Series Pro Blend improve efficiency of your pool program while reducing frequency of filter cleaning and scum lines. Natural Chemistry is also well known for its wide variety of phosphate removal solutions that include a non-clouding formula in phosphory and extremely high range removal with Pro Series Foss Remove or Foss Free Max. Save time, save money, save work with Pro Series products. Stop sacrificing durability or efficiency with the help of Raypack's new Avia HD models that utilize NITEC, their exclusive industry-first technology. NITEC Heat Exchanger Technology is Raypack's latest solution to superior strength and maximum efficiency when it comes to residential pool heating. With 900% more nickel compared to Cooper Nickel in critical surfaces, NITEC creates an ideal surface to protect against scale formation and erosion without compromising on Avia's 84% thermal efficiency. Learn more at raypack.com slash nitech. Welcome back, everybody, to the Pool Nation Live podcast. We continue our conversation here with Ted Lawrence, the retail experience, and we're going to go to Zach. All right, Zach, let's get some final thoughts. Can't wait to hear. What do we? So I love this stuff, and yesterday we were, Ted was probably exhausted by the end of the day. <laughs> I know I was from asking a lot of questions. And it's really interesting to me, on how much of running and building and creating a successful retail store, like a lot of the elements as far as like the strategy, the business, the finances, the things like that correlate with being successful in other things like service or building or other business types. And Edgar talks about it all the time. We all have our it, right? We all have this it that we do, that we're good at, that we start with. But if we can, like Ted was saying, back up a little bit, work on our business, find that time to work on it instead of just living in it, breathing it, working it all the time, and you learn the business, the strategy, the finances, and so on, you can take that knowledge and move it over here and be very successful with another venture like retail store. So I just love it. I love the creativity. With service, we meet a lot of people and they get very creative with the services they offer, the way they're doing it. But when you talk retail and bringing someone into that environment, I geek out going into stores like what to expect, like how's it going to be laid out, what kind of shelving. And you run into some of the most eclectic and crazy and creative things. But yeah, I had a lot of fun today 
just listening and learning. And thanks for coming out, Ted, and hanging out with us. It's great. When you really dive in even a click deeper into retail, and we sort of vaguely touched upon the layout and the design piece, but then there's also science behind the way we think as consumers and the sort of science behind how we make decisions. Primary example, there's something that's called decoying, where if we're given one choice, we don't believe that's the correct choice. Like We believe there's another option out there. And typically, if consumer goes somewhere and you're, they're only given one choice, they probably won't buy it right then and there. They'll say they need to go shop or do whatever. If you give them two choices, they're undecided. But if you give them three, 80% of the time, they'll pick the middle choice. And that's what they call decoying. And Apple is really good at that early on, which is they had one iPhone with three different capacity. They had the 32 meg, the 64, whatever gig, 64, 128. 128. And you're like, oh, yeah, I don't want to be, the 128 is too expensive, but the other one's too cheap. So I'm going to be the guy in the middle. And if you apply that logic to your business, it's pretty amazing. But you have to understand that the middle choice has to be your most profitable item. The most expensive item doesn't necessarily put the most amount of money in your pocket. So sometimes most business owners will say, well, I I know my customer and they won't pay that much, so I'll take less of a margin. And then you're compromising your business. So when you give three choices, 80% pick the middle, 10% always choose the less expensive option. And then there's the 10 percenters that always buy the best. So you give a good selection there. So that's number one is having selection, but also what works in reverse. If you have too much selection, now we're undecided. We're confused. We don't know what's happening. So you limit the choice, but make sure you give the customer choice, I think is key when we talk about merchandising. The good part is, too, is we're in specialty retail, which so there's an assisted sale. Like you're there to answer questions. You're there to help guide the consumer. Where if you're in grocery, there's nobody there to tell you which can of peas or beans to buy on the shelf. You figure that out through value proposition on pricing or shelf placement or whatever else. So that's when we really get into the science behind that the majority of the people will buy the product that's right at the arm's length or eye level. So the most profitable choice should be merchandised in the middle of the shelf because some people buy a product location and there's this psychological aspect. If you were to go to the wine section in the grocery store or liquor store, like Where's the cheapest bottle of wine located on the shelf? And you intuitively probably already know where the Carlo Rossi is, and it's at the bottom, because it's painful to go pick that item up. And there's a reason it's called top shelf liquor. We're built with some of the stuff that we've been trained as consumers to do. And so you need to apply some of that logic. And I love to study this stuff, and I did for so many years, because grocery is such an amazing thing. And the majority of my career I've spent drawing parallels to grocery and applying the principles of grocery to pool. When you go into the vegetable and fruit section, the lighting's different, right? It's very warm and rich because it makes the reds of the apple seem more red and the walk by the greens and the mist turns on and it has the freshness like it was just picked. And some grocery stores, particularly out west, you'll hear a crack of thunder right in that area too. The floor is a tile floor because a shopping cart over a tile floor, it's almost like little speed bumps. You can't push the cart very fast. The longer you spend in the section, the more money you spend. There's all this stuff that's built in. And then when you get into the aisles, they're very fast, slick floors because they want to get you in and up the aisles because 
fast and quickly. Otherwise, you abandon aisles if you don't go by too fast. So there's so much psychology that goes into a grocery store. And if you can take some of these aspects and apply it to especially retail, it's a game changer. And that's the majority of my time in this business. I've applied those principles to retail. Just amazing. We could be here for five hours. Well, I could talk on that. So yeah, we've gone on to Bucky's. Uh, yeah. What's that? We haven't even gone on to Bucky's. On. <laughs> I don't think anybody doesn't stop at a Bucky's if it's available. Like, you got to right. pull in. Yeah. Right. John, let me get your final thoughts. I have so much I want to talk about, but I know we don't have time. And I want to get into this because this was my world before, yeah. too. And I'm all about oh. I mean, the good, better, best. I mean, I can literally talk for hours about this. And because to me, it's fascinating. As far as my final thoughts, I just want to keep them nice and short. And those of you out there that are listening, and I know there's going to be some that's going, okay, retail, what does that have to really do with us service providers? Or I'm only that retail guy or girl, and I don't have any aspirations, or my business plan doesn't see me opening up a retail store. What I want you to do is go back and listen to this podcast again, and it holds true with anything. And we've said this, and I've said this a million times. Things we talk about here, whether you're in a pool business, whether you're in a grocery business, whether you're in HVAC, whether you're babysitting, it doesn't really matter. A business is a business, and every single thing that was discussed here and that Ted was talking about applies to you as a service professional in your business. It's just a different venue, but ultimately we deal with people, and people is who we're interacting with. And when we talk about merchandising, well, you do merchandise. You merchandise yourself, your uniform, you merchandise your company, your logo, your website, your truck. When you talk about the experience and talking, giving customers choices, I talk about having like your little mobile retail. That's exactly what you are. Customer service, knowing your environment and your community. Same thing too. You don't open up a pool service company in an area that has no pools, yeah, right? That's right. <laughs> you just don't do it, right? So there is a lot of similarities, if not 100% similar thoroughly enjoyed this. Ted, thank you so much for flying out here and doing this. I know you're a very busy man, but hearing this, it should be an aha moment to a lot of us that are out here listening and knowing that there's so much more that goes into what we do. And sometimes we oversimplify it, but I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. And I look forward to talking to you in the future about this kind of stuff because if you ever need anybody to geek out about this, no. give me a buzz. Cause there, there, <laughs> there's so much to talk about. I mean, it, there we, is. we didn't even talk about the cross-pollination that you can do as a service professional back to the retail store. Oh, yeah. You're in the backyard. There's so much you can do to sow a seed to the consumer to tie them back to your store. But you got to have the store, right, to tie it back to. So We're definitely going to have to have you back for a part two. I think oh. we've got a lot of questions. The other thing that I want to talk about when you come back, and I know obviously Biolab deals with, uh, obviously, a lot of the chemicals that are into the industry. So I'd like to sure. geek out on that part. We can science next yeah, time. Yeah, we can talk would, about yeah. pools and chemistry and manufacturing. That would all be very exciting. Yeah. yeah, and I think talking about the quality and how they're made and how to differentiate. I mean, those are all just things that we talked about yesterday yeah. that I would love to geek out on and have a conversation. It resonates well with the service professional, understanding how it's made all the way through to the sales channel and what all is involved. It's this highly complex, and it would be a really good story to tell, Yeah, for sure. Great. Thank you so much, everybody. Hope that you have a great weekend. Tune in on Wednesdays. John and I will continue trying to get to those 63 questions, John. We've got a couple <laughs> more into that list, so we're going in reverse now, but Perfect. we promise that we're going to keep trying to get to those questions. And we did, by the way, have Ted jump in and do a video because somebody sent seven questions on the retail, so I had him do a video. So that one's going to be out. We'll post that on Instagram as well so that we can cheat and say that we got those off of our list. So. 
Anyways, everybody have a great weekend. We will catch you next week. Bye, guys. Thanks, guys. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Pool Nation podcast, a member of the Pool Nation family. You can listen to us live every Friday here at 9 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Central, and 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. You can find us at Pool Nation or PoolNationPodcast.com, on Facebook, or on Instagram at Pool.Nation. And to find more info about Pool Invoice, the billing software built specifically for the pool industry, go to PoolInvoice.com. Before you go, this is what the pool industry has been waiting for. PoolManUniversity.com. It's the first platform dedicated to learning the swimming pool service and repair industry. A pool service community where you can connect and find videos on business, service, water chemistry, and repairs. See you there at PoolManUniversity.com.